You're listening to Cloud Security Reinvented, a podcast for security leaders with a focus on the cloud. Learn best practices from fellow security professionals and how they disconnect from it all at the end of the day. Cloud Security Reinvented. Good morning, or depending on when you are in the world, good afternoon, good evening, or good night. Welcome to Cloud Security Reinvented. I'm your host, Andy Ellis. Before I introduce our guest for the week, a quick word from our sponsor, Orca Security. Orca provides agentless security and compliance for your public cloud infrastructure, enabling you to detect and prioritize security risks in minutes, not months. I'm here today with Nick Vigier, CISO About Town. Welcome, Nick. How's it going, Andy? Going really wonderfully today, you joining us. You know, across our careers, I think we as professionals, at least I hope we do, but the world that we're in changes. So where we started our career in today don't look at all the same. And so I love getting insight from our guests, especially in light of the transition from the on-premise world that I think many of us grew up in uh, to the world of cloud that's become the default. And so literally when I say like the on-premise world, you actually started in networking, if I recall, uh, and made the transition to security when you worked for the New York Stock Exchange. What was that like? Yeah, it was a really interesting journey. I, I, I fell in love with networking when I was in college and became this really interesting cross-section of what I would call systems thinking. You have to understand how everything works in order to bring it together. And the protocols were interesting. And um, so I got my first job exchange working for a company called SIAC that did the American Stock Exchange technology at New York Stock Exchange. And I started there four months before 9-11. Um, so the continuity uh, exercise, I was literally going through the security cordon to vacuum gypsum powder out of Bay Networks equipment. Um, yep. So when you talk about the money from on-premise to cloud, this was the most on-premise you could get. Um, and a really you know, learning experience. Um, but I was fortunate that I was sitting next to the pen testing team. There was no room for me next to the comm engineering team. And... <laughs> I would just cruise through my work and have time. And I was, looked at what they were doing. And I was like, that looks really cool. That looks really different. And uh, so I volunteered my, and after a couple of years, um, ended up getting brought in where I realized pen testing is an art and I'm not an artist, um, but fell in love with cybersecurity and, and yep. everything around it. Um, so it was a really, you know, it was, uh, yeah, there's a, a really neat theme in some other CISOs and people in other environments about this, getting a job opportunity just by sort of volunteering with your peers. Like, oh, hey, your job looks cool. Like, how can I help? What can I learn? And just sometimes taking on work that you're not necessarily suited for. Like you said, you're not the artist, but you learned something you were very excited about. So I, I love hearing that. Um, and then I think you went to LiquidNet, which was, you know, you spent eight years there and you ended up in charge of physical and information security. So what was that career journey like inside one company for that long? So it was really, I was really fortunate. The gentleman that brought me into the pen testing team, uh, Al Berg, has uh, been one of my mentors for a long time. And he went over to LiquidNet and said, hey, come over here. It was only a 125 person company um, and much more holistic thing. It wasn't just the technical security. It was understanding the business. It was the physical security side of things. I mean, three weeks into my time at LiquidNet, I went to All Good Tennessee. There's nothing happening in All Good Tennessee. And so it's two hours from Nashville. Um, and But I learned about so, you know, nonlinear junction detectors, signal analyzers, like all of that, because, hey, we're, let's figure this stuff out. But also mm -hmm. taking, you know, access control and CCTV and things um, along, you know, with security, but then also covering, um, you know, risk management, security, security engineering, 
security operations, like really the full yep. gamut. We got the SAS 70 when that first came out and, you know, all those fun things services sector. So there was a lot, a lot of wood to chop, um, but stick a pro security, which I, I found really fed into my liberal arts mindset. Um, yeah. and, uh, and I suspect there's probably some things from that physical world that are great analogies for your brain to wrap around when applying it to the IT and, and cloud world. It was actually really interesting to bring the kind of like hacker mindset to physical yep. security because you started to see things in a very different way of like, well, that's how I would break that lock. Uh, most physical security people are literally just looking to make sure that the doors are locking. Okay, but if I yep. blow a can of cold air between the doors and all you have is infrared as your motion detector, now your door's just going to open. Um, yeah. So that really put things on its head, like a little bit more of a technology-enabled approach to physical security. Um, but then you bring, yeah, the point, you bring that back also to the information security side, and that brings a whole different, you know, uh, color. To yeah, that is fascinating. And then from there, you went to Sony, which mm -hmm. is a, a complicated multinational company. And so yeah. where did you fit in the Sony hierarchy? Because <laughs> as near as I can tell, like Sony owns Sony, which owns Sony and has a subsidiary called Sony. There's a lot of left pocket, right pocket stuff going on, right? Yeah. Um, so I went because I wanted to learn what it was like working for a huge company and to learn budgeting. Yep. Um, most company, like liquid, smaller company, budgeting was kind of like, how much did we make? How much did we spend? Was this bigger than that? Um, and uh, started up with a accountant that was helping the budgeting process and t taught me everything about budget. It was amazing. Um, and I was there after breach, but before the pictures breach. So during this really quiet okay. period when everybody really wanted to get security done right and uh, worked for a gentleman, Phil Reidinger, who is a, also a great mentor of mine. Yep. Um, and he brought an amazing group of security professionals um, and a completely different mindset. He came at it from a, a legal background as well. So you got that whole color. Um, but yeah, learned that to see. Um, I had security and security for uh, a museum, a credit <laughs> card company, two biotech companies, uh, music licensing, printing, and uh, Western Hemisphere data center. So along with Sony Corp of America as the right. holding company. So it was really a very broad uh, experience. From that. that is fascinating. That sort of gives you sort of the feel for sometimes what a managed services provider might get when you work for you know, a company that's that, that diverse. And then you've had a couple gigs that are really fascinating because back to back, you were the CISO at DigitalOcean and then the CIO at Gemini. Um, and most recently you were the CISO at ID.me. Um, and we don't often see people do that CISO, CIO, Tango. What was that like for you? So I was at Ben, which was a, a really fascinating experience. Um, you know, and again, a very uh, set of responsibility that took that liquid net approach uh, where yep. I was covering everything. Um, and I got a call that was saying, Hey, Gemini is looking for a CIO. And at the time I was trying to figure out why CISOs and, and, uh, CIOs don't get along. Um, yep. like where's that tension? Where's that coming from? And I really wanted to understand it. So I was actually doing some guerrilla interviewing, pretending to interview companies that I really just wanted to understand why they were hiring a security director or a CISO. And, uh, I got a call from Gemini and I was, I was like, why are you calling me? I'm a CISO. They said, well, they have, they have a CISO some other former CISOs are obviously very security minded and you might be a very good fit. And I saw it as a really good opportunity to run a marathon in the other man's shoes. Yep. And, um, and all your roots a little bit, um, of like, you know, and infrastructure and all those fun things. Um, and so, uh, and it was a third person company when I joined, it was April, 2017 and Bitcoin is at a thousand dollars, which sounds really cute right now. It does. Um, <laughs>
And, uh, and it was an immense in helping a company grow and set down the rails for growth and, and uh, provide people with the safety to do good work, uh, very hectic environment. I like that our listeners should really grab onto the you know, psychological safety to do good work. I think if your people don't feel safe, it's hard for them to do their best work. Um, and so glad that was a, a focus for you. And then sort of around that, you've also dabbled in what I would like to call sort of the field CISO or sometimes advisory CISO, you know, my gig today, um, you know, where you're sort of out in customers and helping evangelize your product, but at the same time, helping to make them more secure. Mm-hmm. So how do you find the, the, that different from the role of being a mainline CISO? So I, I'm very much a strategic leader. Um, I like to be in a bunch of different problems. I like to try to come up with solutions to them that are going to help drive things forward. Um, in that type of really allows you to touch a variety of different industries, a variety of different mindsets. But my experience is only about 20% of CISOs that you interact with that want to engage. Um, and in my particular case, really saying, hey, I'm here to help. You want like an extra, like we have an NDA signed and everything. I know how all of your stuff works. I will literally sit word deck. I will sit with you and work on your strategy or your budget. It will cost you nothing. Um, and 20% take you up on it. And yep. it's, I, I would encourage CISO to reach out to their communities and partner with people. And especially when there are people that are not trying to sell you, but are literally just there to try to help, to take them up on it. It can't hurt. Like, what do you have to lose? Yeah, no, that's that's a really valuable. And I think a lot of people, you know, don't take that partnership with the field CISO or even the CISO at a vendor who's often really happy to help build a relationship and invest in you. And they're not trying to sell you today, partly because they recognize that if you think good thoughts about your vendor, then maybe you'll buy more in the future. Yeah. And it's, it, I think the change for some organizations is trying to figure out how do you, how do you measure the value that CISOs are bringing to the table? Yep. And what I would argue is that a lot of the value comes in in probably like an 18 month life cycle. Like it's a relationship building and a trust building exercise mm-hmm. and over time that yields money but when you're dealing with the sales organization where they want to see bookings and revenue and all that it's a lot harder to tie directly to well the field CISO did it right right or it's because of the work that you know this yielded and over although i'll say if you've dabbled in cio to see what it's like on the other side maybe cmo might be your next thing to go experiment with and see the challenges of trying to bring in qualified leads and help manage the pipeline. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's a that's a, like one for me lately type of jobs and really, yeah. really challenging. No, I, th- I think it's one of the hardest jobs. You know, I work very closely with CMOs in my career and, and I would not want that job. And I think CISO is a hard job, but that one seems like it's much more arcane. Yeah, I mean, I will say like part of the experience from having been a CIO and trying to understand that tension was you know, everybody's like, oh, being a CISO is so hard. And my response is go try to be a CIO. Like yeah. you are literally trying to lay track as fast as you can. So the business doesn't fall off the tracks, mm-hmm. you know, and to the CIO, the CISO looks like Hollywood, right? We do stuff is <laughs> we a do lot celebrity longer things. tail. Well, it's yeah. longer tail. It's more about analysis, but let's have a conversation, you know, and things like that. And to a CIO, that's literally just trying to move faster than the business. Um, yeah. while, that while saving like Hollywood. money. Okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So let's think about how the world has changed across your career. And if I just think about, you know, cloud and how that affected security. So what yeah. do you see as sort of the security approach now that, you know, cloud is, you know, whether it's cloud native or cloud first. Uh, I had somebody recently tell me he didn't want cloud stupid, which I'm still trying to decide what it means. But how do you see the world of security changing? 
I mean, obviously, eight to ten years ago, it was oh, cloud, so scared cloud, you know, et cetera. I mean, even my time and I, we started in AWS and we actually built out physical data centers to deal with latency for high high frequency trading. Um, you know, so cloud has uh, changed and changed and and whatnot. And since I moved to the cloud, some of these considerations that led to oh, we have to be on prem have gone away. It's been really good to see regulators warming up to the cloud because that's always been a hindrance. I mean, even you know CMS on the on the uh, Medicare Medicaid very you know anti cloud, and now kind of coming around. Yep. And and that eliminates a lot of those right, a lot of those like intellectual gut reaction, fight or flight type of type of uh, conversation, and it makes everything a lot. You can have a much more objective conversation around what is the best approach, um, mm -hmm. and the, they're obviously a lot more complete. Um, and more mature. So ability to to rethink things uh, is great. Our cloud have changed. I think that's really powerful. Um, and then every industry has little quirks that surprise people from the outside. And since you're you know, in between gigs at the moment, you know, CISO about town, you can pick any of the industries you've been in for this one. <laughs> but what uh, is that surprising thing, especially about cloud security, that's going to be different from the inside than what we see from the outside? I think everyone thinks that companies are further along in their cloud maturity journey than they really are. Um, <laughs> everyone talks about their security or their approach or their infrastructure maturity. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that there's of um, a lot of be done because there's a lot of companies that have, you know, from what I've seen, just from the FIDO perspective and, and whatnot, it's um, you have a lot of companies lifted from yes. more physical infrastructures straight into the cloud. And it just doesn't work that way. You can right. get away with it, but it's going to cost you a lot more. It's going to be a lot more inefficient. And getting cloud native is really what organizations can be focusing on in a very real sense, which requires a very different set of skills. Yeah. I've, well, I think I've noticed people especially do that forklift sort of way is when you were building inside your data center, you know, your IT and your security did a lot of things for you that the developers never, ever saw. Mm -hmm. And so you provided security that worked in this you know, environment where like every network cable goes to the same router. So I can just plug in a tap and I know what's going on. Yep. And you can't deploy a server without me putting an agent on it. And when you get into the cloud, like you lose a lot of that friction that created the opportunity for support. And so you forklifted, but you left behind everything and your developers do not want to change their processes and slow down to like tie an agent into their workload, for instance. Right. So I think the, that lift and shift some work as well as people think. I think away with it for, for a while. And at a certain point, if you've taken too long to realize that you have to have this, you know, come to Jesus moment where you have to realize, oh my God, we have to go and change the way that we've done things. Yeah. Um, and that becomes a much more dramatic shift and some organizations or sometimes it's too late. Um, or it requires an amount of effort that then you're balancing against a product roadmap and, you know, right. where's the ROI on it? Yeah, all the new features are being built by developers who've been ignoring the security tools that you thought worked. Yep. Um, and those exactly. are the, the high revenue, so you're not getting in their way. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, so if you look back at the practices that you first learned, right, in that pre-cloud era, which ones of those do you think most resonate today as fundamentals that we need to maintain and get better at? I mean, I'd hate to reuse uh, Dan Walsh's response. I, I think it's knowledge management, right? It's all that asset management, knowing where your data is, knowing yep. the context, knowing the value. Um, 
the great thing from a cloud perspective now is everything's API. So you have the ability to automate a lot of these discoveries. You have the mm -hmm. ability to get to ground truth a lot faster in a more dynamic way. Um, and so this is the perennial, you know, this is always the problem. Whether it's, you know, for IAM, for resource management, or whether it's for incident response or what have you, it all comes down to that knowledge management component that, you know, covers, you know, that broad swath yep. identity and asset management. Okay. I love that. Good. Those fundamentals. Now, flip side, what are the things that we used to do and insist everybody do that we ought to have just buried and killed off a long time ago? I mean, God, I hate third-party risk questionnaires. <laughs> <laughs> They're really this like exercise that we go through where it's, you know, folks are just lying. They're telling partial truths or they're, you know, telling, they're saying what they, and the person on the other side oftentimes isn't even looking at the responses. It was just, yeah, we did it. And so it's, I'd love to see that be something that becomes more automated in a meaningful way. So mm -hmm. obviously some organizations that try to do this to a certain extent, but you end up with reports of like, you know, oh, hey, here's a domain that has like bad SSL certificates. Like, no, that's not mine. Yeah. Um, and then it turns into this of trying to correct uh, correct a information. Um, so I think if we can point where we can just get rid of or, or streamline this process in a more effective and real way um, to actually deliver that meaningful information, like I, I, I want to see that way. <laughs> yep. Yeah. What I loved about the spreadsheets is they all started from one of a handful of templates. It was the BitSig yes. or maybe it was ISO 27002. But then every time a company would suffer a breach, they'd go figure out what they thought the root cause was. And they'd be like, oh, we didn't have a question about that. So they'd go add this question to the bottom of the questionnaire. So I would get them when I was I, right? And we filled them out. And it became a game to go take like these five questions that you hadn't seen before and go figure out and map them back to those companies' breach to be like, oh, that's how that breach really happened because you just disclosed to me like here in your, your questionnaire. But they would never ask the hard question, which was like, how will we shoot ourselves in the foot by using your service? Mm -hmm. Like this was really about like, are you a reasonable company? Not am I going to get in trouble because I use this in a dangerous way rather than the way that you think I should use it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's, it, it's really challenging that that value. I mean, to your point, I think they've all started from a similar point of evolved in this nuclear waste pond that now everybody needs to answer these varieties of, of questions yep. and it becomes a massive um, uh, drain your, your human. That it definitely is. So you know, anything you do to streamline that is what vendors end up doing. It's like, how can I make this as easy as possible? But it's not really like, how do we provide value to the customer? Because the customer doesn't know how to extract any value at that point. Yep, absolutely. So when you think about the surprises of the cloud era, like I don't think any of us predicted what we have today, but what's the one thing that probably has surprised you the most? Well, I mean, we talked about the forklifting already. I think yep. that that really has surprised me in a lot of ways. And people see that as a digital transformation. It's like, it's it not. Does it surprise you that it doesn't work as well as people think it does or that people are still trying to do it? Um, it's surprised people are still doing a large extent. Um, you know, it's, it's an, uh, yes. um, <laughs> <More in> <laughs> um, and so it, it really, I think that's the biggest challenge. Why, why aren't you and the benefits, um, and, and figuring out people, um, yep. you know, and making sure that the right way, I mean, I think the other big surprise for me is really, um, you know, through, uh, SOC 2 and stuff like that and realizing that, Hey, we're doing all of our infrastructure as code. 
I can just turn over the logs to my sock auditor and say, here you go. And never yeah. talk to my SREs and never have to talk to my engineers and the network folks or anything because everything was defined as code. Um, and that was more of an epiphany of, oh, wow, from a cloud native perspective and an automation perspective, this is, this is what would be right yeah. um, and make things better. Yeah, no, that I definitely love. Now, if you look back, everybody wishes they'd gotten some piece of advice earlier than they did. What's the thing you wish somebody had told you early in your career? This hat, well, was uh, a lot younger. You have a lot of arrogance and you like, come off <laughs> as a jerk. So uh, a little bit of that self-awareness went a long way. But I think uh, the best piece of advice I've gotten um, in the last couple of years was um, I was actually on a tour and the tour guide said, well, you know, things in Italy are a little bit different. It's not right. It's not wrong. It's just different. And that gave me a sense of like all this jumping up and down and wanting people to see things my way. That's not my job. My job is to yep. give them an understanding of ground truth and to help them make an informed decision. And their decision isn't right. It's not wrong. It's just different. And so that allowed me to take a step back from feeling like the decision was personal um, and more of just a comes to the table with different uh, perspectives. As long as I can give them the facts and as long as I can help them understand the risks that they're taking, it's not right. It's not wrong. It's just different. Yeah. I really love that aspect coming from a tour guide because, yeah. you know, in a previous job, we are <laughs> be a helpful and sustainable guide to our business partners. Mm -hmm. And that's the way I always thought about it was I can't tell you where to go. I can give you some hints. I can tell you where is dangerous. Like you really shouldn't jump off that cliff. Although maybe the one that's got water underneath it would be okay, but you're going to choose one of 12 different paths. My job is to help you be on that path as safely as you can, not to pick the path for you. Exactly. Exactly. And I think taking away a little bit of that, you know, uh, the decision-making process very early. And I think being, being yes. able to be a little bit more about it is certainly very helpful. So that's kind of like my, uh, my mom. Yeah, I like, that's a really good one. So when you think about the future and the opportunities that technologies are going to bring us, what are you most excited about? Like, we don't have flying cars yet, but what's your cool thing? Um, I mean, I think for me, I, I kind of talked about it, talking about the third-party risk management is I, I, the automation, right? So yep. when we have, when everything's in the cloud and you're doing things in cloud-native ways and infrastructure is defined as code and... Uh, there are known design paths from the various cloud providers, et cetera. And you're able to do things like your automated compliance auditing, automated change management, automated infrastructure as code, you know, verification prior to launch, uh, automated remediation, being able to, um, uh, that they do well, right. And that they're awesome at, I think my time at Palantir was, I came to the realization that there are things that machines do really well. And there are things that people do exceedingly well. People are great at things like some pattern recognition and yep. spotting weird, but they just have to be presented in the right way. And so being able to um, let the machines, they do well and automate a lot of these things and then letting the humans go be the creative things that uh, the creative entity is to innovate versus just doing busy work um, or just working harder um, is I think the, and what I'm really excited about when I try to find ways of doing it every day. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm going to summarize that as, you know, letting, letting computers help spot the weird more often. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's actually advice I'd give everybody. If you ever discover something and you're like, huh, that's weird, just keep pulling at it until you really understand it. Because often there will be surface explanations that people say, oh, you don't have to worry about that. But most of the time, your gut instinct of that being weird meant there's something there for you to learn. Maybe there's no danger, yeah. but there's always something really cool there. 
I, I think that humans presented with the right information, you can make decisions exceedingly quickly without having any any context I mean, or no advanced analysis. You, if, if I send someone app of everywhere they VPN'd in from in the last week, it would take a person a quarter of a second to look at the map, you know, basically say, oh, I was never uh, right. in the last week. If it's a sock doing it, now they're going to go and have to like call the user and it has to be one of like 15 people that it happened to and whatnot. I, I don't doing that. I can literally just give the user the information. And yeah, then yeah, here's somebody, your, here's that your looks picture. Weird. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And I love that. Um, and uh, I'm solving. Um, yep. But then, you know, hands and, and stay stay real. Um, the things that help me catch from things, I, I love scuba diving. I don't get to do it very often, but I have a, a portable unit that I bring in pool, for example, in the summertime. And I can yep. just escape from the world for 15 minutes and just focus on my breathing and relax. Um, and then I just uh, Pilates. So I can get, I have to strengthen because they've been damaged from playing hockey so I can get back to playing hockey. Um, because that's another goalie, um, the little, the most typical cybersecurity role that you could have on a hockey team. It is. <laughs> uh, your hips get messed up, but at the time you have one thing to focus on. It is your only job and it becomes very meditative to a certain extent. Um, just like scuba diving though. Um, you know, those are things that. Awesome. I love those. And now just doesn't have to be about technology, but. What's a bit of wisdom that you've encountered that you have that you just want to share with people and have more people here? I mean, I think the biggest thing is that um, there's no career ladder. It's a jungle gym. Um, if you look at security in enough sense, it is everything from your engineering work to your you know product security application work, your investigations, your incident response, your governance, risk and compliance, privacy, even physical security. And there, there's a, there are one. Um, and I think it's key that, like security isn't just pen testing. The number of people that are early in their career is like, I just want to go be a pen tester. Well, as someone who had to go through that for a year and realize that wasn't for me, trying to help people understand where they fit into that journey or what they might have aptitudes for, I think is really, really important. Um, and I think the other way, uh, you got to take it. Um, everybody's super busy, always more work to do. Um, but you have to pick your head up from time. You have to take a look around and make sure that you're chopping down the right tree um, and you know, it's fitting strategy because what you don't want to do is end up in a situation where you spend two years just chopping wood and working as hard as you can look up and say, I'm still the same person I was two years ago. Like that's not satisfying. Right. Now, did you effectively make change not only in your organization, but in yourself? Absolutely. Always look to invest in yourself. Yeah. No, I really like that. Well, Nick, thank you for joining us today. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And thanks, everybody, for joining us. You've been listening to Cloud Security Reinvented. You can subscribe on your favorite podcast platform or just watch us here on the Orca website. Thank you for checking out this episode of Cloud Security Reinvented, brought to you by Orca Security. Orca Security detects and prioritizes cloud security risks for AWS, Microsoft Azure, and Google Cloud without the gaps in coverage, alert fatigue, and operational costs of agents. Please follow Cloud Security Reinvented wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts or visit orca.security slash podcast to get immediate access to all of the latest episodes.